This is a podcast from the Business Times. 81% of Singaporean workers reported an increase in the risk of burnout. And that increases 18% more than 2019. Nobody is going to speak about mental health unless they see people who are more powerful than them doing it. What's the worth of a human in the workplace? What's the worth of a human life? Does prioritizing employee mental health and well-being lead to a successful business? Is it really okay to talk about mental health issues, even at work? This is Lens on Singapore. Globally, workplace stress and burnout seem to be on the rise. Singaporeans work 45 hours a week and reportedly have the highest rate of sleep deprivation in the world. And it's beginning to affect their performance at work. Here's Anthea Ong, founding chairperson of Work Well Leaders, a non-profit focused on making well-being and mental health a strategic and leadership priority. The recent study of how Singaporean workers have the lowest levels of um, engagement and job satisfaction compared to the workers in Southeast Asia, that speaks a lot. In fact, the study showed that 81% of Singaporean workers reported an increase in the risk of burnout. And that increases 18% more than 2019. And then if you look at the reasons why the factors being work pressure, poor leadership, job security, toxic culture. Essentially, it's a failure of leadership and culture. The repercussions of a burnt-out workforce will eventually eat into the bottom line. Research and studies have shown that there's a real business case for it. And there's also a real case of benefit for individuals to come forward. Um, Straight up, let's talk about the negative of not tackling the mental health issues at the workplace. Recent research by Institute of Mental Health IMH showed that stress and anxiety actually cost the Singapore economy $15.7 billion. Or loosely translated to about 2.9% of our GDP that particular year when the research was done. Synthesism, lost productivity, staff morale, attrition... And of course, you get sick more often if you're not well mentally. So, you know, more sick leave, more medical claims. So never mind that this number doesn't even look into the cost of attrition because we know that employees are likely to leave a company if their mental well-being is not supported or they're feeling like they're mentally challenged in a workplace. Even if a company only cared about its bottom line and not its people, it'd be hard-pressed to ignore those numbers. An NCSS study with over 500 companies in Singapore found that for every one Singapore dollar invested in workplace adjustments for mental health, organizations saw a return of 5 Singapore dollars and 65 cents in improved productivity, reduced sick days, medical claims, and increased staff morale. It's got to be the right thing to do, and that's why you're doing it. But it's also a smart thing to do as a business, as an employer, with all the business results that you get from it, as well as the business risk that you have to contend with that hits your bottom line directly. Where work is concerned, 70% of uh, Singaporeans are in the workplace. And we spend 70% of our time, of our waking hours, working. So really, if we think about also trying to look at the larger societal issue or economic issue or mental health, it makes sense that we focus on the workplace place and the working population to try to actually at the end of the day help ourselves, help our families to deal with this mental health and well-being challenge that we know it's not a trendy issue, it's not going to go away, it's very real. Culture remains a challenge, 
Talking about feelings just isn't really a thing here, especially at work. In fact, stigma against mental health issues means that people may choose to remain silent to avoid repercussions. Because the pandemic, COVID has made it a bit more of a legitimate conversation. But if you look at the numbers, it's still clear that almost two thirds of Singaporeans still fear and still would not talk about mental health in the workplace, whether it's to their managers, supervisors, to relevant staff like human resources. And a big part, I suspect, and we know as well, again, from studies, is from the fear of the impact on their careers. And so, it's fair to say that stigma and trust in employer is still an issue. That's why uh, more than half of Singaporeans in a recent study are reporting that they are more susceptible to stress in the last year, despite all of this supposedly more conversations about mental health. Really, we have to go to the root cause of it, and that still is about trust and understanding in the workplace. When I was assigned to cover this, I wondered why. Given I'm a typical Gen X, brought up with my mom's words ringing incessantly in my ears, why so many feelings? Just do your job. And every time I whinged about not wanting to do my homework, go to work, attend a Zoom meeting or the dishes, cue mom. But as the younger generation begins to rise up the corporate ranks, they're shaking things up. One thing that we've seen on the ground is that they have no choice because the Gen Zs mm. and the younger millennials are demanding that sort of ethical standard or that sort of workplace culture. So like, even if you don't want to and you don't believe in it and you're drag kicking and screaming, the fact is that where is your talent going to come from if you don't get with the program and acknowledge changing employment tastes and, you know, trends, right? So yeah, you're you not going to get top of choice. But you can say the right words, take the right boxes, but if it's not authentic... Yes, but Gen Zs are bullshit. They, will, they, will they are leave. BS detectors. They will leave they will very leave quickly very and they will quickly. tell all their friends and then... And they will post on Glassdoor and like all these websites, oh, this per this company doesn't walk the talk and mm. all of that. So the Gen Zs are very idealistic and that's not a bad thing. But a lot of research suggests that I think there was a piece of research that said something like 80% of Gen Zs would not work for a company that didn't have an inclusive culture. Whereas I think for probably our generation is reverse, right? It's like 80% of us would work if the culture wasn't inclusive. It's part and parcel of the changing contract between companies and employees. Physical and mental health isn't just an individual responsibility. It's a corporate one too. Now in today's world, because of email, because of like 24-7 Slack and all of that, people do not have boundaries. And this is the first time in humanity's existence for thousands of years that humans have had this like boundaryless, borderless sort of like uh, uh, situation where you are always on and never off. So that is when now suddenly it's the corporate's responsibility and fault. If you expect somebody to be on call and you expect them to check emails and be available all the time, you're invading into the personal realm. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. Still to come. So how should companies better support employee mental health? How do we deal with the tug of war between bosses and employees of growing mistrust? And shouldn't something be done about employers forcing us to do yoga just to check a box? More in a moment.
the Business Times podcasts. Relevant, incisive, compelling content by some of the newsroom's most respected correspondents in markets, wealth management, and current affairs. Available on all your favorite audio content apps and at www.businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts. There is that saying, people do not quit companies, they quit their bosses, right? So therefore, good bosses are a very important part of mental health. Ooh, so it all starts from the top, say Crystal and Gregor Limlanger. Begins again with the leaders. If they want that in their staff, they yes. need to embody it. They and need to understand it. They need to support it. That's the, that's the it. beliefs and mindsets yeah. element. If your leaders themselves just think it's lip service, check yeah. the box, then they haven't actually fulfilled the beliefs and the mindset sector of mm. it. Because that's the most important part of driving change is do people believe in yeah. the change? These days, Buzzwords like self-care and mental health have become part of corporate lingo. Workplace well-being services have become a billion-dollar industry. From yoga classes to meditation apps, many companies have jumped aboard the bandwagon. But do these programs actually work? Singaporeans in particular tend to be very skeptical and very cynical. So when these issues are rolled out, uh, the instinctive response tends to be, oh, this is another one of those trendy fads or whatever, and then sound bites and all that. But then, like, it, it also, uh, like, if leaders embody it with their gestures, like, for instance, if people can see leaders being vulnerable, sharing about their own struggles, if they can see leaders actually doing real things, like, I'm not just going to talk about burnout, I'm actually going to reduce your workload by 30%. I'm actually going to deprioritize 30% of the projects that are on the calendar instead of just like talking about it, right? Instead of just adding additive, add on a yoga lesson. How about we delete stuff, not just add on? So I think like when people actually see with their own eyes, people walking the talk, that is when the belief system starts to change. The most important quality of good leadership is empathy. People have to feel safe enough at work to bring up their struggles. Firstly, when we talk about what makes people reluctant to share about mental health, a lot of that has to do with a concept called psychological safety. Now, psychological safety is the feeling that in my workplace, I can take a small risk and it's going to be okay for me. I won't be penalized or punished for taking that risk. For instance, if somebody in a team meeting actually says, you know what, I've been feeling a bit burned out. The boss doesn't say, oh, that's rubbish. That's like total nonsense. And that would be punishing the person who took a risk. But instead, the boss says something like, wow, thanks for sharing that so authentically. And I think we can all reflect on how we can organize our workflow. So that would be rewarding that person. Yeah, and also at work that the senior members of the organization actually model that, that they may speak about their own challenges, that they normalize stress, that they talk about times when they didn't cope and how they got through that. That then allows the more junior employees to also actually go there potentially. I mean, nobody is going to speak about mental health unless they see people who are more powerful than them doing it. Because generally the rule of thumb is that the less junior or the you know less power a person in culture has the less psychological safety they have inherently. So that means the culture needs to really demonstrate it from the top. Well, for me, very simply, it started with simply showing the way by being very transparent about my, my own struggles. That's Stéphane de Montliveau, executive officer of Otis Worldwide, 
and president of Otis Asia Pacific. Otis Singapore is one of the founding members of Work Well Leaders, the non-profit collective that Anthea Ong runs. In the past few years, triggered by the COVID pandemic, Otis Singapore has introduced a series of measures to transform workplace culture and support employee well-being. And it started with Stefan himself. I started sharing some of my experiences. I talked about the challenges I have with my, with my son. My son is, is neurodivergent. He was diagnosed with ADHD. He also has opposition defiance disorder. I also spoke about difficulties I had during the COVID period and overall made it very more open. I realized that the more I would create that balance, being seen as a complete normal person who, you know, not only performed at work in a leadership positions, but also struggle at work and struggle outside work, just like everybody does. And getting that genuine voice, making myself more authentic in how I communicated with everyone around me at work triggered really a mutual reactions from everyone. People started thinking and seeing that really that's fine to talk about our issues. It's also not just fine, but it's benefiting to do that because you actually can meet in your work environment a welcoming community that can provide a strong pillar to balance yourself when you face difficulties. Physically, they redesigned the office, converted traditional cubicles into collaboration spaces, introduced a flexible work policy, and added a wellness room for employees to rest and relax. Culturally, they sent their managers for unconscious bias training and enforced policies on anti-harassment, anti-bullying, and anti-discrimination. They also empowered employees to speak up about issues without fear of retaliation. It's tempting to be skeptical about these measures. But Stefan says what really made the difference was leading by example. An example of that is I do have strategy reviews with all my leadership team across Asia Pacific, including Singapore. And during these strategy reviews, there is always a space in the agenda where we talk about our culture, but also, and part of that, we talk about the well-being and mental health focus as a key trait of that culture. We talk about what leadership behaviors create an environment that go beyond a formatted, you know, well-being framework, but really deep into messaging to everyone in the company that it's who we are. It's the environment we create for everybody to thrive. And we do that not just by a set of support resources and benefits, but we do that by how we behave with each other, by how we support each other, by being human-centered and really having a culture of care for each other. And Stefan says Otis employees have responded positively. I have an example in someone in my team who, who was struggling personally through um, a difficult marriage relationship and, um, and at the same time was facing very uh, you know, critical health issues. And that person one day, you know, came to me and said, listen, um, I, I can't take it. I, I have to quit. I don't think I can do my job. I'm pulled out with too many issues, you know, on the personal front. And my response was, don't do that to yourself. Look at your work and your colleagues as a positive source of support. Don't cut yourself short of an important community that could help you be strong with 
problems you face outside work. She did listen to me and, and she, she decided to stick in and not to resign. And a few months later, she came to see me and told me how much it was the right decisions for her to hang on and, and how much she found support in the caring culture that we were all working to build up. So that was extremely encouraging. Still, Stefan says there's more to be done. Developing better metrics to measure and track employee well-being for one. It's always a journey. I don't see happiness as something that you eventually reach. I think it's something that you should always be trying to increase and work towards. I am happy. I do find that my employees are happier than they were. Uh, I find a lot of progress we've made. If I take the COVID period as a transition uh, era, I would compare employees' happiness and contentment today with the pre-COVID period as, as having had very miserable progress. I'm very uh, steady on continuing to invest because, as I said, we're, we're never there. There's much more to be done. Stéphane de Montlivaux is executive officer of Otis Worldwide and president of Otis Asia Pacific. We also heard from Anthea Ong of Workwell Leaders and Crystal and Gregor Limlanger of Forest Wolf. This is Lens on Singapore. Join us next time for more current affairs, societal issues and government policies. Explore through the lens of how it impacts us here in Singapore. For The Business Times, I'm Harry Lim. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.